Father, for the good news to be broadcasted, placarded. But Father, the good news cannot be understood without the bad news. And so we pray, Father, you would give us clarity. We pray, I pray, Father, you would help us if we've been pure in these ways to continue on. And Father, if there's Christians here who have been struggling with sexual sin, Father, I pray they would confess and repent of it and commit themselves to following you in holiness and in purity. Father, if there are unbelievers who do not even know what the deal is, we pray, Father, we, that uh, your word would show them the kindness, the love, the graciousness of Christ and, his, and God's design and how he has made us. Father, I pray that we would all find satisfaction and joy in walking in your will. No matter what society says, and sadly, no matter what the common evangelical church may say that is false, that is uh, going against what scripture says, we pray, Father, you would give us clarity. Help us to be a gracious people, but a firm people in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be talking about redeeming sexual morality. Uh, we've received an email from uh, John MacArthur of current happenings of what's happening in Canada. Uh, I, uh, Jeremy and I were struggling. If, if we wanted to um, follow along, he has called uh, many, many churches to stand along with him and to preach against sexual immorality. Uh, Jeremy and I, we are the elders of the church. We don't particularly like to follow every newspaper or every happening of what's happening. We just like to preach the scriptures straight through. But occasionally some are such out, some events are so big that we need to bring it to the attention of the church. So that you and your young ones and your young adults and those who are thinking and growing and desire to honor Christ, would, uh, that you would have some biblical bearings on how to deal with what's going on. So this email, I'm going to read portions of it just to kind of give you uh, a background. Uh, dear, this was an email given to uh, John MacArthur and he's added some comments. Dear Minister of the Gospel... I write to you this Christmas season to call your attention to an urgent matter in which the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is under attack. Uh, on December 22nd, I received an email from Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church of Edmonton in Alberta, Canada. You remember that he was imprisoned for keeping his church open during COVID-19. There's a now a new email uh, from the Canadian government's decision to pass Bill C-4, which directly comes against parents and counselors who would seek to offer biblical counsel with respect to sexual immorality and gender. And then he shares a, a, an email from Pastor Andrew DeBartolo. Uh, and this is an email to John. Uh, he says, thank you so much for your willingness not to shine a light uh, not only to shine a light on the situation here in Canada, but also your partnership in calling other men to preach on biblical sexuality on January 16th. That's today. 
in unity and solidarity with ministers here in Canada. I and we are truly grateful for your ministry and service. Bill C-4 passed through the House and the Senate without opposition. This is in Canada. Not a single dissenting vote was cast by any member of the Conservative Party. It received a royal assent on December 8th, which means it will come into law after January 8th. The bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. It will criminalize, among other things, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, that is, promoting or advertising conversion ther therapy. In the preamble of the bill, it says that the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations. Gender identities and gender expressions is a myth. So what they're saying is, uh, in the law, uh, just to give a few comments, is the Bible teaches that gender and sex go hand in hand. That if you're born a male, you should follow as that as a man. Or if you're born a female, you should follow that as a, uh, as a woman. What the new trend and what uh, scholars have been teaching from the universities and what is being taught in schools and what is being taught in media and um, in, in entertainment is that gender and sexuality don't go hand in hand. In fact, what the bill is saying is that it's a myth. You could be one gender, be born one gender, yet be attracted to any other sexual identity or you could define your sexual identity of one of I think it's uh, 53 or 73 different sexual identities and yet the Bible says that that is not the design of God that that in fact uh, denounces um, spits upon the very design and created order of God in glorifying him as male and female husband and wife let me go on. The bill defines conversion therapy. That is, when you share the gospel with someone who claims to be a homosexual, a, a, a gay, a lesbian, LGBTQ, a transgender, transvestite, all of the whole gamut, a bisexual, asexual, pansexual, you could just keep going on and on and on. The bill says that if you share the gospel with someone who claims that, and you call them to repentance because it is sin. And you call them to repentance that that would be considered a crime now in Canada. A practice, and I quote from the bill, a practice treatment or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual or to change a person's gender identity to cisgender uh, which is heterosexual, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the birth to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, to repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. 
The definition is intentionally broad and it could be clearly used against any preacher or elder who either speaks against homosexuality, transgenderism, or who counsels a person to obey Christ and abandon their homosexual, transgender actions and lifestyle. This means that as of January 8th, 2022, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. The bill goes on. Everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that another person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. He's just saying, if you call someone to repentance, that you can go to jail for five years. Similarly, everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for not more than two years. And then he goes on to say, January 16th, faithful men across the country and many in the U.S. will be preaching on God's design for marriage and the biblical ethic of sexuality. We will be doing so illegally in Canada. So what they are preaching right now is illegal. Declaring to the state that there is one God and one Lord over his church. And that Christ alone gets to both define marriage and dictate what is required in the pulpit. We are honored that our American brothers are joining us. And then he ends there. MacArthur then goes to say, I am eager to support our Canadian brothers and preach on biblical and sexual morality on January 16th. And I invite you. He goes on to say, we are well aware of the evil power and destructive influence of the homosexual and transgender ideology. Our government is bent on not only normalizing this perversion, but also legalizing it, I would add, and also celebrating it. In fact, if you're not celebrating it, uh, you would be outcast. Sometimes there's a, you would miss a promotion if you do not celebrate what they think is sexual diversity. In 2012, he writes, uh, California passed a Senate bill, 1172, and I did look it up, banning gay conversion, and that is for those who are under 18, the age of 18. In doing so, the California government sought to prohibit any correction of any unbiblical view of sexual identity because California has a compelling interest in protecting the well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals. I could go on and on and on. I want to, uh, um, I, as I read this, but uh, I want to, I think I want to end there. The letter continues on and he challenges us to stand. And so the elders, we were praying about this. We were wondering if we were going to, not that our position has changed, but if, if we were going to preach on it this morning. And so the elders of RBC <coughs> decided that as a church, we would stand. You know, brothers and sisters, the only salt and light in this world that gives clarity to human sexuality is the word of God. That is the only thing that is preserving our culture, that is holding some kind of semblance of what God has designed. As a church, it is a truly an expression of love. Hear me, please. It's truly an expression of love to teach the truth clearly. 
not ambiguously, not in clouded language, not, not trying to get people, uh, uh, get the crowds into the door and then kind of slip it in the back. But to teach clearly what the word of God says and to point to others where forgiveness can be found. In confession and repentance through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are unclear that it is a sin, then you, they, it'll be, the gospel will be unclear that that's what they need to run to. Our society continues to do everything it can to rationalize and justify its own sexual sin. Entertainment, movie, movies, music, social media is immersed in it. Our education system from elementary to higher learning. Our government passes laws to promote sexual sin over and against God's design and purpose for sex and marriage. Sadly, many churches will not make, this is sad, they will not make a definitive stand in an effort to not offend. All the while, never clearly addressing the issue of repentance in Christ. The state of the culture and government may fill Bible-believing Christians with fear, anger, and even weariness. I was reading this letter to, to our, some of our brothers in our home group, and they're like, oh, this now? There was hope. Amen. Amen. God's word clearly reveals his design and purpose for sex. If you have fallen into these sins, there is grace. There is forgiveness for all if you but confess and repent in Christ. So my preaching point this morning, if you're following along, if you want some notes, you can raise your hand. Brother Manny has, um, can pass them out. This morning, our prayer is that God's word would strengthen your resolve to stand for God's design for biblical sexuality. And I'll say that again, that God's word would strengthen your resolve to stand for God's design for biblical sexuality. This is not simply a difference of opinions. This is what people think. This topic truly speaks about the fundamental underpinnings of what it means to be human. Of what it means to be a man or a woman. The sad, sad case that if you are a man or you're a woman and you believe in that kind of philosophy, that you are in denial of your very created being. No, I'm not a man. No, I'm not a woman. If you are a believer in Christ, may Christ use this time in the word. May he inform, motivate, and strengthen your resolve to surrender your sexuality for his glory. In whatever stage you are in, whether you're married or single. If you are here this morning and you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are glad you're here. Maybe this is the day that you see the beauty and the joy of what it means to surrender your life, including your sexual life. To Christ. There are three major guideposts that God gives you to strengthen your resolve to stand for God's design for biblical sexuality. And we're going to be going through a number of passages because I want you to see that it's not a Paul thing. It's not a Jesus thing, just. It's not 
an Old Testament thing. This, the roles, the gender, sex, what God has called us to be runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And a rejection of that and a playing of the, the, the different philosophies is actually a rejection of God himself. And yes, I will even argue that someone who claims to be a Christian and claims that you could be any gender, any sexual identity, you could follow any sexual practice, is not a Christian. And I'll show this from Scripture. And that there is forgiveness for any kind of background that you come from. Now, notice, number one. God's creation of sexual morality is beautiful. Don't let the world define that it's not. Don't let them tell you that it's not. God's creation of sexual morality is beautiful. It's beautiful for five reasons. Notice in Genesis chapter 2. Go to Genesis chapter 2. I had brother Manny read it. I'm not going to reread it. But notice in verse 23. It is beautiful because it follows God's intended purpose. You notice in Genesis 2.23, it says here, The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. It is the purpose, it is the design of God that when there is marriage, that there is a man and a woman, that there are specific roles of men and women. In the Bible, there is no confusion between gender and sexuality. In the Bible, it is defined as the same. And any deviation from that is actually described as sin. Not as preference. Not as orientation. Not as, a, as, um, not as a opinion. It is called sin. And we as Christians, if you want to take the word of God seriously and you want to honor Christ, you have to use the language of the Bible. Don't let the language of the culture change you. That's, that's one of the tactics of the devil. Rather than calling things uh, adultery, they call it an affair. Rather than calling it fornication, they call it shacking up or being together. Rather than calling it homosexuality, sexual perversion, they call it transgenderism or alternative lifestyle or sexual orientation. Brothers and sisters, if you surrender the language, you surrender its meaning. Words matter. And so God himself says, it is beautiful when you follow the intended purpose that I have created you. That man and woman are supposed to be reciprocal, complementary. That a helper is supposed to be there for his wife. That there are actually specific goals. And let me tell you, brothers, sisters, there is joy and satisfaction in fulfilling that. I absolutely love being a husband and a father. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love that my wife loves being a, a wife and a mother. And there is clarity. There is no confusion. It is beautiful because it is, because it is based on a lifetime of commitment. Notice in Genesis chapter 2.24. It says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother. The most intimate relationship in a marriage, father and mother, you are supposed to leave that unit. And it says here, 
and he joined his wife and they shall become one flesh. That is not only a leaving of the parents, but a melding of the two. This is not just sexual intimacy, but this is a melding of hearts. A melding of minds, a sharing of dreams and ambitions and love, a sharing of disappointment, a sharing. It is a beautiful, committed relationship. It is also beautiful because it encourages true intimacy. Notice in Genesis 2.25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Notice it is not, it has no other teaching. It is the man and the woman, their sexuality, excuse me, their gender, and they were both naked and not ashamed. Their sexuality together. The world separates it. God created it together. And notice he says, they were naked and, and were not ashamed. It is not just that they were physically naked. It is that in this lifetime commitment that God himself officiated in the first marriage, in this lifetime commitment, there is a bearing of the soul to one another. This naked and not being afraid and not being ashamed is that I am entrusting myself to someone else. That's why it's a deep violation when there's adultery. That's why there's hurt in, in the part of the family and there's hurt in the part of the kids. It, it is a real ripping and a breaking of a family. And in here, the design of what God has said is that when there is true commitment and dedication, you can truly be yourself. You can truly connect with someone in its deepest, most intimate way that is reserved only for male and for female. It is beautiful because, notice in Genesis 1, 28, as we're flying through, Genesis 1, 28, he says, God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the sky. It is beautiful because it produces offspring. God has given us through the powerful experience of sexual intimacy within marriage to actually create other beings. I think it's one of the most beautiful things when when I uh, there's there's many pictures of me just holding <laughs> I, I'm just remembering that. I'm about to cry. Just, as I hold my newborn babies and I look at their eyes and their eyes are my own eyes. Or they share different features that are the same as me. Oh, there's nothing like that. And sadly, sadly, there lies the homosexual, the transgender, they could never experience this biologically. They will never experience this. It will always have to be a male and female. Now they will play with science and they will mix it up. But let me tell you, the reason why it does not work 
is because it has not been designed for a man to have a baby with a man, nor a woman to have a baby with a woman. And therein, they will not sense that fulfillment, that joy of having a child together. Now, I understand. I'm not saying, oh, those who are infertile, they'll never experience satisfaction. There is beauty in adoption. There is beauty in that family. There is beauty. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is when they go, when the LGBTQ uh, community goes against nature that God himself has defined and designed, therein lies emptiness. It's an amazing thing. God gives us blessings and we pervert and destroy them. He gives us the blessing of marriage and we pervert and destroy it. He gives us the blessing of the family and we pervert and destroy it. He gives us sexuality and we pervert and destroy it. But by God's grace, it can be redeemed. You know that, brothers and sisters. That is the big lie. That gender identity and sexuality are two different entities. They even laugh at you when you say, no, they're one. They laugh at you. Through history, that's never been the case. Um, even... They would teach, I got this off of Planned Parenthood, sexual orientation is about who you're attracted to and who you feel drawn to romantically, emotionally, and sexually. It's different than gender identity. Gender identity isn't about who you're attracted to, but who you are, male, female, gender, queer, etc. That's what they teach. But yet for the Christian, I like how Elizabeth Elliot, she is a wife of a missionary who was killed in Ecuador. Elizabeth Elliot said it very, very succinctly. She said, for the Christian, there is one rule and one rule only, total abstention from sexual activity outside of marriage and total faithfulness inside marriage, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Amen, I'd say. Amen. Don't let the world create your values, brothers and sisters. Don't let them degrade that which God has made and declared what? Good. He made it and declared good. In fact, when he made male and female, he declared them very good. They'll call you prudish. Sex in the context of a loving, committed marriage is beautiful for it glorifies God. Look at verse 27, and this is what I wanted to kind of lean into for this point. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Notice, he created man. Notice what the language is, in his own image. That is, he is mankind. I'm saying mankind, right? Mankind is to give glory, is to exalt the attributes of God, his excellencies, his beauty, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his kindness, his love. He is supposed to show the world what the Trinity looks like in submissiveness and in love and in corporate, um, and in corporate agreement. 
And how is he supposed to do this? How is man supposed to show the glory of God? He says you can show the glory of God. Notice, male and female, he created them. So interesting. In the verse, he's saying that the image of God is thrust forth by male and female being created together. And we see this drawn out in full measure in Ephesians chapter 5. When when the Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So we know now from the analogy of faith all the way from Genesis from the, to the end that this imaging forth of God's glory, you get to in your marriages, brothers and sisters, show how great God is. Show how loving he is. Show how forgiving he is when there's a family that has love in it. When the shouting has ceased in the house. When there is redemption and forgiveness and love. When there is those who love Christ and Children actually respect their parents and parents respect their children and a husband lays down his life for his wife and a wife lovingly submits to the husband. You can glorify God, brothers and sisters. And if you have it, there is grace. Amen. If you fail in this, there is grace. But you have to stick with me till we get there, okay? God's creation of sexual morality is beautiful. It is his ordered design. It is his purpose. Number two, God's judgment on sexual immorality is severe. God's judgment on sexual immorality is severe. Unbelievers will say there's no judgment. There's no judgment. You're, you're ridiculous. You believe in this man in the sky. It's just a myth. We know from Romans 1 that it's truly a rationalization to fulfill their own sexual desires. Sadly, many evangelical churches will teach, will not teach the judgment of God upon sexual immorality. They'll have different qualifications. They'll make excuses for it. They'll back off. If, with its potency, but God says he will judge sexual immorality severely. They would say that, oh, it's too divisive, too controversial. Let me tell you, it is the un, most unloving thing to do not to warn someone who is in danger when you know the antidote. Let folks hate me for it. I'm going to truly love them by warning them of the impending judgment. Now, here's an example of his severe judgment on sexual immorality. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. This is just awful. We don't have time to go through the whole story. I'm just going to give a brief synopsis. In Genesis chapter 19... I'm going to skip down to verses 24 to 28. We know what happens. Lot 
uh, is in this wicked, wicked city. Sexual immorality is rampant. Homosexuality is rampant, such that the men in the city look, are like raving mad hordes looking for people to have, to rape them, to sodomize them. When Lot uh, entertained two visitors, the Bible says that um, they tried to break down the door. And God miraculously saved them. But notice as we see in verses 24 to 28. Verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Notice God himself. This is Yahweh. This is the same name that Christ himself claims in, Gen in, in John chapter 8. Do you understand? Now we were, um, I was watching some videos, you know, uh, there was a, um, an explosion right by Tonga and it created typhoons and you all got your, wherever you're at on your cell phone, everyone got a typhoon, uh, excuse me, tsunami warning. And I was watching some, I was watching some people on, on the island of Tonga and I saw the water just kind of come over there and there was terror. And, and the tsunami, it, although the swell was big, it wasn't that destructive as it was in Japan. Uh, many years ago. But the shrieks and the shouts were terrible. I could just imagine, you, you just imagine, just, just imagine folks in their own pride saying, I could sleep with whoever I want. I can do whatever I want. That is the heartbeat of today. This is my body. You can't tell me what to do. I can do it over against. God is a, a myth. There will never be judgment on me. And I could just imagine as the brimstone and fire out of heaven started to come down. And by, to this day, there is, a, this, this, there is this space that they believe is Gomorrah, which is covered with sulfur and salt still. You could ask Rena. She was there. I think she was there. I could just imagine just the terror of them realizing we are being judged. We are being judged. You know the story Lot ran and his wife looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. But if this story doesn't tell you of the severity of God's judgment, I don't think what I don't think anything will. It is not simply, oh, I get to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. It is actually a sin against a holy God. And that's where we have to bring it back to. Now notice. The deniers, the mockers, the entertainers, the actors, the singers, the politicians, the influencers. The time of repentance will have been swallowed up and it will be too late. 
that is happening again. You have loved ones who are in the LGBTQ community. You have loved ones who are doing fornication or adultery. Call them. Call them out. Love them. Tell them of their impending doom. Secondly, it's a, there's a declaration of a severe judgment on sexual immorality. You might say, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. Go to Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22. John is speaking with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 22. Jesus says in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Look at this verse 15, this description. This is incredible. Now, you know you have red print and black print. You know that that is not inspired, whether it's red or black. Okay, Is this John speaking or is this Christ speaking? Whether it's John or whether it's Christ, if he did agree with it, he did not say anything otherwise. I think it's Christ because it seems to go with the context. Notice he says, outside are the dogs. This is incredible language. Why would Christ say this or agree to this? He says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers. What's sorcery? The, the root of that word is pharmakeia. It's those who are typically would take drugs to see different gods. It's from the mystery religions in, in Greek. Uh, it would be likened to those who would, who would be addicted to uh, drugs as well. And notice he says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons. The word therefore immoral comes from the root porneia, where, it's where we get the word pornography, and it covers the whole gamut of any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. And the murderers and the liars and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. See, what happens is that the average person walking the street, and if you ask them, are you going to heaven? They'll say, yeah. And they'll say, and you ask them why? Because I, I, don't, I didn't commit murder. That's, that's where they usually go. But the Bible here, amongst other sins, is specifically saying that those who practice, hear me out, I say an unrepentant, habitual sexual immorality is outside the kingdom of heaven. This is Christ. See, what happens is, this is what happens. Here's what the argument is. And just, I'm telling you this so that you would be aware of it. The argument goes like this. Well, Jesus himself really didn't, um, Jesus himself really didn't say it or agreed to uh, condemned anything of LGBTQ nature. It's just Paul. So what they do is they try and split Paul and Jesus, the writings of Paul and the writings of Jesus. 
where Paul himself says, Paul, Romans chapter 1, a bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. On and on and on. He says, I am here by the word of Christ. I am here by the calling of Christ. So as if you are a believer, you cannot cut and cut and paste or cut and, and select different scriptures of what is biblical and what is not. Jesus and Paul in this instance, are, are thinking the same as we have the inspired word of God. Jesus and John are thinking the same. And I will show you a passage where Jesus himself calls the sexually immoral to repentance. So it is false when you say, well, Jesus never spoke about it. Jesus, Jesus was at Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you understand he, is, he was the pre-incarnate Christ. He is not some person that only began uh, in the manger. Brothers and sisters, his, he is, if we are to agree with what Christian doctrine is, he is the second person of the Trinity. He existed from long ago, whose walkings were from the beginning of time. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He has always been there. Our bodies have always been called to be given to God first. Now, next there's this clarification of his severe judgment on sexual immorality. And so I want to see what Paul has to say. And what does he mean what does the Bible say about sexual immorality? Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is one of the clearest statements. And this will help you, brothers and sisters, as you lovingly share the gospel to your loved ones. Let me tell you, this is uh, sexual sin has, has always been in my experience of ministry of those who've been walking with Christ or who profess Christ, we've seen many people who have baptized and professed Christ and have walked away because of sexual sin. Who have turned their face against Christ. And we have called them to repentance, uh, both in my ministries in the past and in this ministry. And it has been this snare of sexual sin. No, I know that Christ is good. I know that he is forgiving, but I want to follow my way. You can't tell me what to do. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice 6. He is talking to the church in Corinth. Now just to give, give you a little bit of a background about the church in Corinth. Corinth, the city of Corinth was a filthy city. It was a port city when uh, the, the, and it was, a, it was heavy on trade. And as the ships would come by, the sailors would come by, the, the prostitutes, the temple prostitutes would come down and meet them. That age of the Greco-Roman times and the Caesars, they were, they were completely filthy from the top down. Leadership and the Caesars, they would actually have their own little boys of whom they kept as, because they were pedophiles. It was a filthy, filthy city. It was a filthy, filthy time. And Paul himself, this is a great, this is amazing. He declares Christ right down the middle with no apologizing. 
And he calls Christians, you, if you are a Christian, you are to live a holy life. Your mind, your heart, and your body, yes, your body, is no longer yours. It is to glorify Christ with. And so Paul is instructing the church because a lot of them, you got to think about this, it's amazing. A lot of them come. There's a lot of the men who would commit adultery in their marriages with the temple prostitute and think it's fine. And then they'd go to church and everyone's like, hey brother, how are you? And Paul is saying, what are you guys doing? There was a man in the church of Corinth. He, he had his, uh, he was sleeping with his own stepmom. And they're saying, what are you guys doing? You're not doing. You are not standing for what Christ thinks is holy. And so he lays down the doctrine in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says, do you not know? Notice, when someone says, don't you know? What are you supposed to, what are you supposed to think? Man, I should have known. You should have known. You should know. Not just by the word of God, but even your conscience. You should have known. And he says here, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen to that. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are those who are characteristically unrighteous. Those who say, it could even be those who say, I'm a Christian, but live like the devil. They're unrepentant. I'm a Christian. I, I raised my hand when I was six. Never go to church. Never read the Bible. Never walk with Christ. Never wants anything to do with Christ. Lives like the devil. Does what they want. Sleeps with who they want. And does not bow the knee. Don't we say in American evangelicalism that a Christian is someone who accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior? Not just Savior. That's what the evangelical church says. Oh, you accepted him as Savior. You can accept him as Lord later. False. That's not what the Bible teaches. When you bow the knee to Christ, he is your Lord. You may not follow him perfectly. You may even sin heinously. But now you know your allegiance has changed. That's what regeneration is. And it's sad in, in the evangelical churches. There is no clarity of the gospel and the demands of Christ. And there's no call to them. And they don't care as long as people are coming. And maybe they'll get it some down, down the line. But don't preach too hard. You'll hurt their feelings. Oh, brothers and sisters, you're not being clear with people. We're not being clear with people unless we preach the gospel. Now you notice, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know, we should have known, that the unrighteous, habitually unrepentant, unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not go to heaven. Will not be with Jesus. We believe here, we believe from many other texts that if you are a true Christian, you will be a, cr a true Christian until the end. So what's the Bible saying here? We don't believe anyone loses their salvation. I don't think that's what scripture teaches. You could go to Romans chapter 8. You could go to so many different places. 
But the true Christian knows that their Savior is Christ, and now there's this allegiance to the world, to my flesh, that has been broken. I am no longer under the dominion of sin. And so what happens here is, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then look at this phrase right here. Look at this text. This is very important. It says, do not be deceived. So interesting. Paul says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice, he is saying this, this is in clear terms. Do not be deceived. What does that mean? What is the inference of what that means? He is inferring that there will be people who will to you about specifically human sexuality and your ability to go to heaven. And I think this is people in the church. Gender, you could throw everything in here. It was the effeminate. It was to describe the young boys who would be with the Caesars. And then it here, um, nor homosexuals, that's very, very clear. It's those who are attracted and actually go for those who are of the same gender. And then he talks about other sins, but that's not the focus of what we're talking about. All of that, brothers and sisters, notice all of those terms describe the same exact terms. But we're using a different language that is more acceptable. Gender identity. Sexual fluidity. It sounds, oh, well, you know, it's just an option. What's the big deal? Paul says, you will go to hell for that. Don't be deceived. Don't let the world, don't let other professing Christians tell you otherwise. Do not be deceived. Now, if I were to end the sermon here, I would not be a gospel preacher. Right? There's joy. There's a place we can be washed. God's creation of sexual morality is beautiful. God's judgment on sexual immorality is severe. Lastly, God's redemption of the sexually immoral is complete. You can be washed. You can be purified. Look at verse 11 is some of the most sweetest words. If he ended at 10, we would be without any hope, right? Look at verse 11. Such were some of you, past tense. But you were washed, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit 
of God. Such were some of you. Now notice, this is what he's saying. That he was talking about their former lives. That there were some in the membership of the church in Corinth. They used to be like this. They were former prostitutes. They were former adulterers. They were former effeminate. And they used to be like this. And Paul says, remember... None of us, no, no person who continues to practice this is saved. But that was not you. You used to be like this. You were rescued. You used to be, that was your former life. Oh, I love this. Such were some of you. If such were some of them, then such were some of us. You know when, if you did turn to Christ when he finally freed you from that lust. When he showed you I am no longer in bondage. How did he do it? He says, such were some of you, but you were washed. This speaks of the new birth. This is the miraculous rebirth that God does that is pervasive in your whole self. What it is, it is a recreation of self. This is why what we say, when someone comes to Christ and they trust in him, what happens is there is a new life. It is not a, simply a decision. It is not a raising of the hand. It is not an altar call coming forth. It is not this outward experience. It is this whole pervasive change that says I am no longer myself. I am no longer my own. I belong to him. He rescued me from my sins. And now when you sin, you feel guilty and you have to get right with God. Where does that come from, brother and sister? I tell you, it comes from above. It is John chapter 3 when Christ spoke to Nicodemus and said, You must be born again. So he speaks of their former lives, of their rebirth. Of their separation, he says, but you were sanctified. And this covers this whole gamut of what God does. Not only does he, this word sanctified, it comes from the root hagios, it means to be separate. It is separate from the world, from flesh, and devoted to God. And it is this whole gamut of when God says, I select you, I've chosen you, you are my people, I will work a mighty work in your life. It is Philippians saying, he who began a good work with you will, what? Complete it. Till the day of redemption. Amen. And so what God does is he tells his people, that's not you anymore. And you know when you've come to that crossroads. Oh, I remember it distinctly when I was in high school. I was living one way. And I was pursuing one way. And when Christ saved me, I said, I can't do this anymore. Where does that come from? It is the new birth, brothers and sisters. It was not my mom. It was not my dad. It was Christ himself. And he separate, and this word of sanctification is not just this initial separation, but it is this ongoing progressive sanctification, such that 
As you grow as a Christian, your life may dip into sin, but there is this ongoing growth, overall growth in holiness. When we say it this way in our church, it's not perfection. No, it's not. But it is direction. There's this new direction. And it says, not only their former lives, their rebirth, their separation, but their standing. And this is important. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of God. The word there, justified, means to be declared righteous because of what Christ has done. So when God the Father looks at you because of your faith in Christ, he doesn't look at you with all of your sins. He looks at you with the perfect righteousness of Christ himself. Not the best version of you, not the, the, the church you, but he sees all of Christ's merit, his righteousness that he lived, his virtuousness because he died for you. All of that is credited to your account. So when you look, that's when you look at God, it's not because of the deeds I've done, it's because of what Christ has done in my stead. Are you a believer hating your sexual sin, confessing and repenting? Praise the Lord. May this sermon strengthen your resolve to honor Christ with your sex life. Are you a believer that has sinned? Look at things that you ha you're looking at things that you ha shouldn't have been. You're engaged in fornication or adultery or same-sex desires. There is forgiveness. There is repentance. Let us help you. We want to guide you to Christ. <laughs> or are you one who's not sure about Christ? You've given yourself to sexual sin. And you sense your guilt, but you don't know where you to go with it. You're, you fill your life with distractions to not think about Christ and his claims and his promises. There was a woman who was washing her hair, washing Jesus' feet with her hair. And the Pharisees would say, if, she, if they knew how immoral she was, he wouldn't let her She And then Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much, he, he who loves much has been forgiven much. Oh, Christian, have you sinned the heap? Oh, non-Christian, unbeliever, have you sinned the heap? You could come to this Christ who can wash you, make you pure. Turn to him. Turn to him. Why don't we pray? Father, we... There's much that can be said. But Father, we just pray. Lord, may this... If we've been playing with sexual sin, I pray that we would... Anyone here would confess and repent. I pray that we would have hearts that love, that would share the gospel. Help us to sing. Help us to praise. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.